Well, this is going to be our second message connected with marks of a Christian. And today we're looking at the mark of purity. Now, I don't think statistics and a presentation of evidence are even necessary to convince you of the depths of immorality that permeate our nation. You see it every day. Dr. Je David Jeremiah writes, America's moral compass seems no longer to have a true north. The needle spins crazily looking for a direction on which to settle, a direction that can lead a nation on a path of integrity and morality. Now, there's no doubt that much of the turmoil that appears today in families, the economy, and within the federal government is the result of that wildly spinning moral compass that cannot find its way. Chuck Swindoll calls the present age in the United States chaos. And I agree. The most vivid description of America's present moral situation can be found in Stephen Hale's book, Truth Decay, where he compares America to a sinking ship, especially the Titanic after it collided uh, with the iceberg. He proclaims, our ship is taking on water. And he goes on uh, to elaborate by stating, we are a nation that finds itself in deep, dark, unexplored waters, groping for answers searching for direction and looking for some familiar landmark that's going to put us back on course. I read a statistic the other day that 69% of the people in the United States say that our society is getting worse every day. And about 56% say it's going to get worse even in the next 10 years. This is the way that the people in our country view things, which is amazing since they're the ones that have brought us to this point. Let's face it, we've all done this together. We've gotten ourselves to this point together. Uh, instead of going through a lot of statistics, I'm just going to focus just kind of on the Ten Commandments. America's perception and value of the Ten Commandments alone shows just how rampant immorality has gotten. Studies have shown that the majority of Americans don't believe in the Ten Commandments anymore, or let alone know them. Uh, one study concluded that only 13% of Americans actually embrace the Ten Commandments. Another survey showed that Americans were more familiar with the ingredients of McDonald's Big Mac than the six or than the Ten Commandments. Eighty percent knew all of the ingredients in a Big Mac. Do y'all remember that two beef patties on a and you go the on a toasted bun or whatever you know? You know what I'm talking about. Eighty percent could go through that list with you while only 60% recognized the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. 
this general opinion of the Ten Commandments or disregard for it is also expressed in the rise and permeation of moral relativism. Moral relativism is the idea that a decision of what is right or wrong is up to an individual, not any outsourced or not any outside sources, not the Bible, not a church, not God, not the community, and not the government. Only you can decide what's right or wrong for you in a given moment. Surveys and deeper studies have concluded over and over again that America is a nation which is filled almost totally with moral relativists. One survey concluded that 93% of Americans believe they individually decide what's right or wrong. Christian researcher George Bonner concludes that 75% of the population adheres to the view that there is no standard for what's right or what's wrong. And 83% of teenagers embrace this, that there's no standard of what's right and what's wrong. It's in this environment that I want you to prayerfully hear these words again as the Apostle Paul addresses the church in Corinth, which was very much in that age in the same state of depravity that the United States finds itself in right now. So prayerfully hear these words. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. That means to move toward completion in holiness or sacredness. In Hebrews 12, 14, we hear these words, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Just think of our country today in light of these words. First of all, pursue peace. 
In another place, the Lord says, or Paul tells us, and as much as it lies with you, be at peace with all men. Be at peace with everyone. Not agitating, not being ugly, not attacking each other on Facebook and wherever else you might do it. Be at peace in as much as it lies with you. Not being a stick stirrer, but being at peace. And so here it says, pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Sanctification means to be made holy. And it's a process. Whenever we come to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, having recognized our sin and recognizing that it's unacceptable to God and that we cannot even approach Him in our sinfulness, whenever we come to Him, and just depend on his mercy and his grace, asking his forgiveness. He gives it. He gives it. And then when he gives it, we're supposed to keep going and pursuing holiness. Now, the thing is, in order to pursue holiness, a right relationship with God, living the good, pure life that God has for you to live, you cannot go that direction and even look on uncleanness. You see, that's what you've turned your back on, is this uncleanness. And yet, if 93% of the people in the United States don't even look to God's Word for what's right or wrong, and they don't recognize that what He says is what's the most important, his opinion is the most important. When if it, that means that there are a whole lot of Christians, a whole lot of people that name the name of Jesus and that are in churches on Sunday morning that haven't even gotten started in this. Pursuing holiness, pursuing sanctification. It's what the United Methodist Church was built on. It's what we started with. We came to John Wesley, wanted to pursue the wrath to come, and we started by moving on to perfection, to be perfected in our love of God and the people around us. And those were the Methodists. And it wasn't a matter of separatism. It wasn't a matter of pulling ourselves away from the world. But Methodists were in the world, but not of it. And because of that, the first Sunday schools were schools where kids that were working in factories during the week could learn to read and write and have a better life. At the very beginning of the Methodist Church, we were helping people to be better. And it was the, that helping was coming from people who were trying to pursue holiness and to pursue peace with everyone. You cannot be holy and be apart from God, from, from people. You're going to be showing the love of God to people. So anyway, that's, uh, that's the thing. It's in this, this, this particular setting that these words should speak to us as Christians, as followers of Christ today. Uh, but it says, pursue sanctification 
without which no one will see the Lord. Now, a lot of people, nearly everybody that I look at, thinks that this has to do with going to heaven. That might be part of it, but even more so, there's something that happens. There's a line that is crossed when you turn from the wickedness and sinfulness of this world and you turn toward God, and that's called repentance, and you start moving toward him. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will love you and my father will love you and we will come and we will make our abode with you. That's not talking about heaven. That's talking about right in the here and now. And so when you turn your back on the world and start moving toward the life that God has for you, you start seeing from a different perspective. All of a sudden, you're going to see people differently. You're going to see not objects like most of the people in the United States do today to be used by them in some shape, form, or fashion. Instead, you're going to see people that are loved by God and have a special place on his cross. And you're going to see them as lost sheep who are wandering around, needing direction, needing salvation. You're going to see people differently than you did before you turned and started walking toward God. And as it says, you can't see the Lord without this pursuing holiness. But once you start doing that, all of a sudden, just like the hymn he lives says, uh, in all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. And the reason why is because you begin to see the world as the Lord sees it. And you'll begin to see that he is at work in this world. As bad as things may be in this world, you can see God working to bring his word into play. He's bringing things about. Uh, the Lord's soon return is at hand. Uh, we see that. You can look at the newspaper and you can see all the horrible stuff. But what did the Lord say? Look up, your redemption draws nigh. And so as you look and see the earthquakes and the floods and the pestilences and all those things that Jesus said were going to happen, you start to see God's coming soon. God's getting ready to straighten all this out. And you have hope. It's not that it doesn't hurt. It's not that we don't feel for the people that are being hurt. But you see God at work in the world around you and you see him at work in your life. You begin to see God. And there's so many people, let's face it, in churches today, they don't see people the way that God wants, the way that they should. They don't see God at work in the world around because they haven't even started to pursue holiness now I have about three minutes to go through what my sermon really is here, but we're going to do it quickly. And uh, the thing is that uh, you cross this line. How many of you have crossed it and you're seeing people differently now and you see sin differently now and you don't embrace it, but instead you see people as victims of it.
and instead of rejoicing with someone who is in sin and wanting to join with them, instead you pray for them. Are you in that spot? That's where you should be. Now then, if you're not there, then this, these are the, the, let me just go through across just a checklist of the areas of our life where we should be pursuing sanctification, where we should be pure. Just here's the checklist. First of all, purity of mind, purity of action, and then purity of heart. Purity of mind, we're to have a clean thought life. If I were to ask you, do you have a dirty mind? How would you answer? Before you consider what your answer would be, remember the definition of dirty is that which is not pure. Back in the book of Genesis, we see it says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually. And it grieved God then. It grieves God now when people's minds and hearts are turned toward him. A dirty mind is a mind that's been tainted by and entertains thoughts that are inappropriate in any way for a Christian. Watch what you fill your mind with. Watch what you watch and watch what you listen to. Watch what you expose yourself to. But now then, that's number one, purity of mind. Number two, purity of action. We are to have clean hands. Who shall attend or who shall ascend? It says in Psalm uh, 24, verses three through four. Who shall attend? I, mean, I can't even say the word. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? The question is, and the answer is, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. John Gill points out that the hands are instruments of action. Actions can be holy, actions can be unholy. To have clean hands is to be morally, ethically, and spiritually upright, to do right, to make the right choices, to do no wrong, and to not encourage wrong or embrace wrong. It is not being perfect, but it's striving always to do that which is right. Sometimes you'll stumble. And that's whenever the Lord says, if, you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you repent, you confess, and you move on. Now then, how many of you uh, have washed your hands at least once this morning? Let's see your hands. Well, they look clean. Yeah, yeah. Nearly every one of you. Nearly every one of you has washed your hands at least once this morning. And of course you have. It's a matter of hygiene, isn't it? Getting rid of germs and microbes so that we don't catch or spread diseases. There's a little saying, I don't know if you've seen it. Wash your hands and say your prayers 
because Jesus and germs are everywhere. <laughs> and that's the truth. How many spiritual infections do you think we spread by having unclean spiritual hands? How many blessings are we holding back because we have unclean hands? Lastly, purity of heart. We need cleansed hearts. Jesus said, blessed are the pure, blessed are the clean in heart. Again, for they shall see God. You see, it's only as your heart is turned toward purity that you can begin to see God in the world. And that is why so many people in the world today are blinded to the evil that they are even participating in. I read a, a report by a college professor who was just grieving the situation at her college where she taught. She said that the dispensary at her college, the two greatest uh, medications that were prescribed and were dispensed were first of all, antidepressants, and secondly, birth control pills. That shows the state of our country. And what she was observing was that these young ladies and there was talk, those, these were dispenses being dispensed just to young ladies, that the sexual revolution has wounded them. They have no compass anymore. And on college campuses, every sexual orientation is okay and acceptable except for celibacy. To try to remain pure is the unacceptable thing on college campuses today. And it's causing young ladies to be wounded and not even understand why. And so they try to cope with antidepressants and they can't even point, pinpoint the fact that their real problem is a sin problem. Their real problem is that there is no purity in their lives. They've embraced a lie and it's destroying their souls and they can't even see it. But we can have cleansed hearts. We can begin again. No matter where we are, no matter what age or what stage, we can. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We can start to see him once we turn from that sin and start pursuing him. The heart is used in Scripture as the most comprehensive term for the entire person. It's the part of our being where we desire, where we deliberate and decide. It's been described as the place of conscious, decisive, spiritual activity. Jesus says again in Mark 7, 21 through 23, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evils come from within and defile the person. Our country has an impure heart and the church 
is where we need to start reclaiming purity because there are so many people in churches that have just turned their back on purity. And in doing so, they have turned their back on God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray today as we've searched our own lives and we've checked out our our minds, our hands, and our hearts. You know how we stand before you. You know if our hands and our hearts are clean or dirty. If we have been living impure lives, we pray this day that you will wash us and cleanse us and help us to turn from impurity and turn toward you. And as we pursue you, Lord God, may we begin to see you at every turn of the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.